0: Let's take our Bibles tonight. We're going to go back to the book of Psalms once again, Psalm 119, and in the, the time that we have remaining here tonight, the, uh, the message, Lord willing, will be a little bit shorter than usual uh, by design, but uh, we're going to continue uh, as we've been walking through Psalm 119 together as the psalmist here has talked about uh, his Love for the word of God, the value of the word of God in his life, and, and yet the difficulties that he's facing. And we, we've learned that there are some people that are out to destroy him. There are those that are looking to uh, discredit him, that have told lies about him, that are seeking his destruction And he's cried out to the Lord, seeking deliverance from those things. And so we're going to pick it up tonight in Psalm 119, verse 121. And if you're there, let's go ahead and stand together as we read the scripture. Psalm 121, and we'll read down through 128. As he says here, I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. That's kind of a similar phrase to uh, something that we read a few weeks ago where he talked about his, his eyes failing for, uh, for God's uh, word and, and for his deliverance. And then he says in verse 24, Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant, give me understanding, That I may know thy testimonies. And then verse 126 is going to be the central verse of this text tonight. It is time for thee, Lord, to work. For they have made void thy law. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. You can be seated tonight i want to preach to you for just a few moments on the subject of it's time for god to work because he says in verse 126 in this prayer to the lord it is time for the lord to work now that's an interesting statement from a man who has surrendered and yielded to god because it almost seems like there's a there's a rebuking tone in those words doesn't it like lord uh it's time. It's time for you to step up. And we understand uh, we're, we don't determine God's timing, do we? Uh, we, are, we are to work according to His timing, not Him according to ours. And In fact, in another psalm, the psalmist says, my times are in thy hands. But now he's crying out to the Lord and he's saying, it's time for you to work. Why would he say that? Well, I think this is a statement of desperation. It's a statement of uh, of, of a realization that he has exhausted all of his resources he's come to the end of himself there's nothing else that he can do he's, he's tried everything that he can think of to try and resolve the issue and it hasn't worked and he kind of throws up his hands in a bit of defeat and says Lord now I guess the only thing I can do is, is give this to you and say it's time for you to work because I've done everything I can do now I don't know if you've ever come to that point in your life I have a couple of times now I say that, in a sense, I come to that almost every day, you know, or, okay, Lord, you know, I understand I don't have the ability here, I need your help. But there have been times in my life where where I feel like I am just exhausted, I am just worn out, I've tried everything that I can try, my logic has, has failed, and the only thing left is to give it to God and just trust Him for the outcome. Well, when you do that, when you, when you yield that over to God, typically there's a light bulb that comes on in your head that says, you know, if I would have done that in the first place, I could have saved myself a lot of heartache. You know, if I would have just trusted God and given it to him to begin with, uh, things would have worked out better. But here he's saying, it's time for thee to work. And notice what he says at the end of verse 126. He says, for they... The, his, speaking of his oppressors, his enemies, he says, for they have made void thy law. What's he really saying here? He's saying, I've, I've, I'm finding myself in a, a fight, if you will, in a battle against people who don't know how to fight fair. <laughs> I'm at a disadvantage because... I'm trying to do things and operate within the boundaries of God's law and God's will and God's purposes, and I'm trying to do things that please Him, but they have made void the law of God. They've just ignored it altogether. They don't They're fighting dirty here. Uh, they've thrown the rules out. Uh, they're not against lying. They're not against saying, saying things that aren't true. I've got to, because I'm trying to please the Lord, I've got to be honest and truthful. I can't slander, Right. And and, and and they're not against trying to destroy me. And so because I'm, I'm at this disadvantage, uh, Lord, it's time for you to work. It's time, Lord, that I just give this over to you and trust that you're going to take care of this because that's really my only hope is just trusting that you uh, will work. And so I want to just point out to you a, a few things that, that I see in this particular passage that were kind of encouraging and challenging to me in, to some degree. Notice he says in verse 121, he says, I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. He really is appealing to the Lord based upon his uprightness. Uh, Lord, I, I'm trying to do that which is right in your eyes. I, I'm trying to live righteously and godly. But the contrast is, and that's really what he's pointing out, is a contrast. Here I am trying to do justice and judgment. I'm trying to do the things that are pleasing to you, but my oppressors, those who are fighting against me, uh, well, they're proud, they're oppressing me, and they've made void your law. There's There's a contrast here between what I do and what they do. And by the way, there ought to be a difference between God's people and the wicked of the world, right? Uh, there ought to be something that, that the, the world is able to look at us and say, you know what, those people that are trying to obey and follow the Lord, uh, there's something different about them. Uh, even, even when they find themselves uh, the subject of, uh, of false accusations, and when they find themselves under attack, uh, they don't retaliate in the same way a, a, a wicked person or a worldly person would. Uh, they are seeking to do that which is right and just and good. And so the, the psalmist here is, is kind of appealing to the Lord based upon his righteousness. That kind of reminds me a little bit of the book of Job. If, as you read through the book of Job, you find Job kind of talking to the Lord about basically what did I do to deserve this? You know, I, I've tried to be a, a good man. I've tried to be a godly man. And, and yet... He finds himself in a time of trial. Isn't it interesting how even when we try to do that which is good and right and just and pleasing to the Lord, it doesn't mean that our lives are trouble-free, does it? There are still problems that come, and we'll still have enemies. And, you know, the best that we can do is try to live at peace with them, but we're going to have problems like anyone else. And so he talks about his own righteousness, but then I love the fact that he says in verse 124, deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy. It's almost like as he's he's uh, comparing himself with these wicked people, for a moment there's maybe this sense of of pride in hey I've been pretty good here Lord I you know I'm doing that which is right and good but as he brings that almost like as those words are coming out off of his lips there's also the awareness wait a second I need God's mercy too I'm really not above uh, God's mercy and in the Lord's eyes all of us Uh, are wicked and and need forgiveness and deliverance. And so in one breath he says that I've done judgment and justice, but in the next breath he says, Lord, please be merciful to me as you deal with this situation. God looks at our situations and and quite honestly, he judges righteous judgment, doesn't he? And he sees the reality of a situation. Those of you who have uh, more than one child probably have had to play referee at different times between arguments between the kids and uh, maybe some kind of a, a fight that they're having. And one of them will, will come up and often they will give their side of the story. And I'm telling you, I don't know about your kids, but my kids have a way of painting themselves as the perfect, sinless victim in every situation. And man, they come in and, and the first one to come and tell me about their problem Uh, you wouldn't believe what my brother just did to me. And I wasn't doing anything. I was just going about my day. I was praying, Dad. I was spending time with the Lord. I was praying for lost souls somewhere on the other side of the world, and he just came over and hit me in the back of the head. And you think, oh, boy, man, I'm I'm, going to lay into this other kid. And then the other kid comes and says, no, 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 that's not what happened at all. Right? And then they give their story. I was busy cleaning my room. ...and doing everything that mom told me to do... ...and I was just getting ready to, uh, to, to put some gospel tracts together... ...and go witness to the neighbors, you know... ...and, and out of nowhere he came and, and, and stole from me my most prized possession, right? And you think, boy, these two people... They, they, ...they think that they're perfectly innocent. But when you really examine the situation, you know what you find... They're all a bunch of wicked sinners, aren't they? And in any given situation, one person may have started what was wrong, but the other person may not have responded correctly, and now both of them get into trouble. And I've told them before, you know, if you were smart, you wouldn't bring this to me. Like, you're the one that came to me with the problem and now you're both in trouble good job you know and uh just keep it to yourself and move on with life but but no when we look at when 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 the lord looks at our situations and our circumstances there really is no one that can honestly say that we're innocent right i mean we might do our best and like i said we ought to be different than the world but all of us need god's mercy don't we We understand that the judgment of God is according to truth and and righteousness. And so here he says, I've done justice and judgment, but then just a few verses later, deal with thy servant according to thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. Lord, help me to be right and to stay right. But then I want you to notice also he speaks of a confidence that he has. In verse 126, he says, It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. And then he says, therefore, therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold. (laughs) Because the wicked have ignored the word of God, I love the word of God. I want you to think about this for a moment. What's he saying here? I have examined the fruit of those that reject the word of God. And all it has done is create in me a deeper confidence and faith in the word of God. Isn't it interesting when you look at the wicked in the world, those who deny the Lord, who reject the Lord, those who've chosen to live a lifestyle that is contrary to God and his word and his ways, you look at their life, and listen, I'm not trying to be unkind or cruel in any way, but you ought to be able to look at what's going on in their life and have a greater confidence in the truth of this book right here. Do you know that the suicide rate among atheists is very, very high in comparison to Christians? I mean, it's significantly higher. Why? Well, for one, they have no hope, right? I mean, there's no purpose, there's no meaning to life. And and really, if there's no purpose or meaning in life, then why all the pain and suffering, right? It doesn't even make sense. Why would I do that? But then you look at other lifestyles that are anti-God, and I know it's not popular to say in the world today, but do you know that the highest suicide rates in this country are by homosexuals and, and transgender people? Do you know that? I mean, and it's not even close. Why would that be? Well, because what you're doing is you're choosing a lifestyle that's contrary to what God has given you and and what he's designed you for. You're choosing to go opposite that and go your own way. It's no wonder you're going to end up depressed and empty and hopeless. You look at drug addictions and, and all kinds of of problems that come out of that you look at marriages listen did you know that marriages that uh, start off by two people cohabiting together living together before marriage are at a much higher have a much higher failure rate like exponentially higher in fact There is a statistic, and I've read this several different places in the last couple of years, and I may not have all of the numbers exactly right, but this is generally the consensus on it. If two people will finish high school and not live together before getting married and will be married before having children, they have like an 80% chance of remaining married. Now, when you look at the, and, and I understand, there, you know, divorces happen and, 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 and problems can happen regardless. But I'm just saying, when you consider that statistic, and then the fact that over 50% of marriages today are ending in divorce, why, why would that be? Well, because these things aren't happening. You're seeing people that just say basically, hey, it doesn't matter if we're married or not. We're going to just kind of live together and try things out. Well, God's word tells us that that's wrong. And, well, we're, you're just closed-minded, you're just bigoted. No, if you just obey God, you'd have a happier life. I mean, it's just the reality. And even a lost person, even someone who doesn't know the Lord, if they would just apply God's morals to their life, they'd have a better life. It's just the reality. And so when you look at these things, listen, that ought not to cause you to, to look down on people and judge people. It really should cause us to have compassion for them, because sadly, most of the time, they just don't know any better. But as you look at that and you see that, you know what it should do? It should inspire a greater confidence in you. Maybe God did know what he was talking about. Maybe God wasn't just trying to control and dictate our lives as as some uh, cruel dictator that wants to keep us from having fun. Maybe God's ways have always been the best way and the right way. The psalmist here is saying, listen, that those, those that oppress me, those that lie about me, they've made void your law. They've regard, uh, disregarded and rejected your word. And what has that done? It's just instilled a greater confidence in me. Uh, as a result of that, as I see the fruit of their lives, and I see the, the road to destruction that they're on, it just causes me to want to dig into the book a little bit farther. I mean, I, I, I love it more than gold. Uh, There's nothing in this world that I would be willing to exchange for the truth of the word of God. That's what he's saying. And then I want to show you his convictions. Because in verse 128, he says, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. I have this absolute conviction that what you have said, God, is true and right. Why would it matter that he says that? Well, think about this with me. Just a few verses earlier, in verse 123, he says, Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. The the situation, the circumstances that I find myself in have caused me to question and wonder if your word is ever going to come to pass. Think about this. If mine eyes fail for, for, your, for your salvation, for your word, it, it's this expression of I am uh, I'm so weary from all of this, I'm just waiting for you to do what you said you would do. Have you ever felt that way? I know I reference it often, but Psalm 73 is that psalm where, where, where he talks about how he was just ready to give up and ready to throw in the towel... And, and quit serving God because, because he saw the wicked prospering in the earth and it seemed like the righteous were forsaken and oppressed. And he said it, it was a painful thing to watch. I just couldn't even imagine this. And sometimes, as we, we see in the Bible, right? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And yet, we look at the wicked in the world, and it seems like, well, I mean, by and large, God's not sending lightning bolts to to kill them. You know, I, I mean, he's not just he's not just destroying them outright. And I've even had people say things like that. Well, how could it be that God would allow this to happen or that to? Ha- it does. Sometimes it doesn't feel like what God has said is true. Now we understand and we know that. God is merciful, and He's long-suffering, and His ways are not our ways, and there are a lot of things that we can can use to explain that, but sometimes we feel like God's word isn't coming to pass, but here is what the psalmist is saying, I know that God's ways are right, I know that what He has said is true, and it will uh, come to pass. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, even though in my present distress I may not feel that way. And this is why it's so important, friends, to to not live based upon how we feel or what we think. Now, I have heard preaching at times that almost makes it sound like all feelings are anathema, you know, they're to be accursed. Uh, we, don't, we, we shouldn't have any kind of emotion, there shouldn't be any emotion ser- shown in church, in our worship, and that's just wrong and it's wicked. I actually believe that that is contrary to scripture. Uh, you read through the Psalms and, and see the emotion that went into the praise and worship of the Lord. And emotions are good and right as long as they are in their rightful place. And I said this in Sunday school a week or two ago. We need to be careful that our feelings and our emotions don't lead us into our convictions and beliefs. We we don't believe what we believe because we feel a certain way. Rather, our emotions need to follow truth. And it ought to be truth that leads our feelings and our emotions. And that's where sometimes when there's a difference between what I feel and what I know... What do I need to do? I need to remind myself of truth, don't I? I need to be convinced of the truth so that my feelings can follow. The problem is that we allow sometimes our feelings to get in the way and lead us rather than uh, than following the truth that we know. This This statement in verse 128 is this conviction of, I know, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. I am trusting God that your word is true and that it will come to pass in your time. And then he even says this, and I hate every false way. I love God's word, and I hate error. Did you know that to live a life of conviction and faith in the Lord requires that we love that which is true and right and that we hate that which is evil. I think that there is something really dangerous that's happened in society and even in our churches over the last however many years, not that long, but it's, it, it's something that's happened. There's this movement that basically says, it's okay and it's good to embrace truth and to love righteousness, but there's if you despise and hate that which is evil then you're um uh you're you're somehow um bigoted or you're hateful and and there's just kind of this idea embrace truth uh, but don't you know don't look down on others for the way that they live folks i want you to know you cannot love truth without hating error you can't. The, the, the two are mutually exclusive. If you love God and you love truth, the natural, the, the other side of that coin is hating error and sin. You can't love God and be okay with sin. These things are not compatible. Now, yes, is there a right attitude and a right spirit in which we say that? And, 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 and is there a right spirit in the, in the way that we approach wickedness and, and, and those who are living a, a sinful lifestyle? Yes, absolutely. We ought to approach people with the love of Christ. We speak the truth in love. But, friend, we speak the truth because there's nothing loving about pretending like ungodliness and sin are no big deal. That's not loving And this idea that, well, you know, there's just some gray areas. I understand there's some things that we don't fully know, and maybe the Bible is kind of not real clear on, and in those areas we need to be careful. But folks, I want to say there are a lot of things that the Bible is very clear on that God's people have a tendency to want to treat as a gray area. And when the Bible speaks, we ought to be confident and convicted about those things. Lovingly confident. I want to show you a few verses before we close here tonight. Let's go over to the New Testament. And we're going to look at the book of Romans. Chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans 12. Verse number 9. And notice what it says here. It says, let love be without dissimulation." Then it says, abhor that which is evil... Cleave to that which is good. You, You can't cleave to that which is good without abhorring that which is evil. A person who loves God and seeks after God and loves truth and clings to truth must be willing to say, I hate every false way. There are some things that are an abomination to the Lord. I think it's sad that so many pulpits across America have stopped preaching about things that are abomination to God. It's sad. I think it's sad that in many cases there's a hesitancy to preach on things such as The reality and truth of eternal judgment, eternal punishment in hell, the lake of fire. And I'll tell you the truth. It's a lot easier to preach on heaven than it is to preach on hell. But both are Bible truths. It's a lot easier to preach on love and loving that which is good than it is to preach on dealing with sin and hating that which is evil. The Bible tells us to abhor that which is evil and to cleave to that, which is good. Then one other place I want to show you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse number 21. It says, prove all things. Let me stop there for a moment. Prove all things. This is a call to discernment. It's a call to say, don't just believe everything that you hear. Don't receive everything that sounds good and accept it as fact or truth. Just because it makes you feel good good or might agree with an experience you've had does not mean it is good. Prove all things, test it out. In another place the Bible tells us that we're to try the spirits whether they be of God. To try means to put to the test. Prove it out. Prove all things, all things. Everything that you hear preached from this pulpit, prove it from the word of God. Prove it out. Make sure it's true. Everything you read online. Everything you hear on a podcast. Seriously. Everything that some friend tries to tell you. And and I just want to say this as well. If there is a new philosophy or idea that is being introduced to you by a peer group, And you say, you know what? I don't think anyone has ever told me that or taught me that. Be careful. Be careful. I'm not saying it's wrong necessarily because there are things that we're all still learning. But you better be able to compare it to the Word of God and be careful that it's not just some new fad and philosophy and way of thinking. Prove all things. Prove all things. And then he says... Hold fast to that which is good. So put everything to the test. Everything that comes in. Every philosophy, every idea, uh, every song that you hear, every uh, uh, book that you read, every movie that you watch. Prove it. Make sure it is right and good and pleasing to the Lord. And if it is, you know what you ought to do? Embrace it. Hold fast to it. If it's something that's actually drawing you closer to God and is consistent with the Word of God, hold on to that and don't let it go. But friend, if not, then get rid of it. Despise it. Abhor it. Don't just say, well, that's not really kind of, you know, the way that I think. There are some things out there, and and I want to be careful not to be too much of a soapbox preacher, okay? But there are some words and phrases that are permeating our society today that I think are extremely dangerous. Um, One would be putting an adjective before the word truth. This is my truth. I'm going to live my truth. No, 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 no. Truth is truth. You don't have your truth and I have my truth. Truth comes from God. And it is either right or it is wrong. There's no no such thing as truth. There there are other words that we ought not put adjectives in front of. Justice. We hear a lot today about social justice. As if it's some some subcategory. Listen, justice is justice. Truth and right. And if there is an injustice, it needs to be made right. But we don't need to put categories on things. I think that's dangerous. Another thing that that comes out, and, and, and I think I've mentioned this before. There used to be, and I've even preached on the fact that we need to be careful about how often, we maybe need to be conscious about how often we use the term, I think. The truth is, you have your opinion and I have my opinion, but we spend a lot of time talking about what we think. And there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We need to be very careful about that. But but that phrase has even changed in our vocabulary. We don't hear people say, I think this or I think that as much anymore. You know what we're hearing? I feel. Well, I just feel this. I feel like, and I understand what, where it comes from, and it really is, it, many times it's, it's used in the same way that we would say I think. But w- why is that word changing? Because, again, we are putting a lot more value in how we feel. Truth is important, folks. Truth matters. Truth will judge one day. What matters isn't what you think or I think or how we feel. What matters is what is true. And I believe the psalmist here in our text, is he's crying out to the Lord. Lord, it's time for you to work. I've exhausted my resources. I'm worn out. But here is what I know. I know that your word is true. And because your word is true, I love it. I embrace it. And I'm asking you to help me live by it. And I also know that the wicked that have made void your law are on the road to destruction. Therefore, I hate every false way. I don't want to go that way. Regardless of my circumstances and how I feel, I'm going to keep trusting God and living by the truth that he has revealed. And in that, I know that I'm going to make it and I'm going to be okay. That really is the point of what he was saying here in this particular passage in Psalm 119.